It's time to renew your mind, yeah, it's time It's hard to focus on what lies in front of you If you're always looking behind Do you want truth? Maybe clarity The raw talent podcast is out here changing lives The day I went from dark to light It's the same day I came to life And you can too Welcome to the raw talent podcast And here's your host, Dave Talent Welcome back. It is time to get real and raw again as we seek together all things true, all things clear, and all things in freedom. Today we're going to get real and raw and talk about watching our language. While I advocate, of course, watching our language when it comes to cursing or using foul words, you know, frequently in every, our everyday language, I'm actually talking about literally watching our language in the course of our entire day and lifetime. I am talking about literally watching your language, watching our language. When I suggest watch your language, I'm suggesting that you literally watch your language in conversations with other people, and especially in your self-talk to yourself. I am advocating that we literally watch the words we speak to others and to ourselves. I also advocate that we watch other people's language and the language we are influenced by on a daily basis. We know from God's truth in so many success books that there is power in the spoken word. In previous Raw Talent podcasts, we discussed the power of thoughts and the spoken word, especially when we tap into one of God's infinite names, I am, the great I am, or I am that I am. When words fill in the blank on the other side of I am, that thought or word begins its journey into creation, into being. When we use I am, we are beginning creation. We are human beings or humans being. The word uh, being in its meaning to exist or existence is closely rooted in the words to be. In other words, to be, to exist, to come into being. And when the words to be are spoken in the present tense, we get, which we all know, right? I am, you are, he or she is, we are, they are. So when I'm advocating that you watch your language or that we watch our language, I'm referring to the idea that we closely monitor and observe our language when we are using I am statements and we are using he or she is, you are, they are statements in describing people, places, and circumstances. Our language is is creative, literally creative. There is creative power behind our words. Proverbs 18 points to this creative power. The words of the mouth are deep waters, but the fountain of wisdom is a rushing stream. The lips of fools bring them strife, and their mouths invite a beating. So the lips of fools bring them strife. It talks about fools at least twice in this this proverb. The mouth of fools are their undoing, and their lips are, are a snare to their very lives. So the mouth of fools is their undoing. Their words are literally snares. They trap. Their words trap them in their lives. Catch them, trap them, and snare them in their lives. And this is the one that's the key one that is probably mostly uh, commented on. It's mostly used. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So the tongue has the power of life and death. It produces fruit, right? And if obviously we want to produce the fruit of life. Life and death in the tongue, the spoken word has the power of life and death. 
The spoken word, especially when combined with the name of the creator, the great I am, I am that I am, has the power of life and death, the power of creation and manifestation. I am statements have creative power, the power of actual, real, raw results in our lives. So anytime we're saying I am or we are or we're talking about other people, he or she is, we're in that space of creation. And we are potentially creating actual, real results in our lives. We are statements also have creative power along with he or she is, you are, they are. I would advocate that we begin to observe the blessings and cursing in our language. Watching our language, watching your language, and observing when there's blessing and when there's cursing. And I'm not talking about foul words or literally curse words. I'm talking about blessings and cursings. In our everyday, in our everyday spoken word to ourselves and others, we should be very conscious of what we're speaking. Let's dive into the meanings of blessings and cursing that I'm referring to here. So for the meanings of blessings, if you just Google it, right, one of the things I got when I Googled it was, hey, God's favor and protection. Blessings also mean a beneficial thing for which one is grateful, something that brings well-being. Another meaning of blessings is a person's sanction or support. In other words, I bless you or I bless my children. I bless the uh, agreement that we're going to go do, right? So I bless that arrangement, right? We, we provide support in that blessing. For the meanings of curse, when I, I looked up the meanings of curse, this is a, a key thing here. It's a solemn utterance intended to invoke a supernatural power to inflict harm or punishment on someone or something. So it's something we're speaking, the spoken word, to invoke power to inflict harm or punishment on something or someone else. It's a coarse or blasphemous word, a phrase used to express anger or other strong emotion. So it's potentially a blasphemous word. And we know the most common statement, right? God damn it. That's kind of using God's name in vain. That's probably the one, right? The big one. So cursing literally means to invoke or use a curse against. It literally means to invoke a curse. So like the word damn. In the Christian belief, it means to be condemned by God to suffer eternal punishment in hell. To be condemned. Now, usually the curse word damn is used as a means of expressing irritation or frustration, right? It's not like that big, epic, eternal damnation. It's just used as a curse word to express irritation or frustration. However, it's actually, at, at the root of what it is, it's actually to condemn, right? The word damn is to condemn, especially by public expression of disapproval. So when we curse using God in the phrase, God damn it, we are literally asking God to condemn it. So in a literal sense, the word damn speaks to condemnation, to condemn, to literally curse or invoke a curse. In contrast, when somebody sneezes, we say, God bless you. We are literally asking God to bless the other person and particularly to bless the other person with health. And while curse words are part of our everyday language, how much thought is taken to observe their power or the power of other spoken words in our lives? When we write out words, as we sound them out, we are spelling, right? Our children work on their spelling at school when they're learning and writing new words on paper. My daughter literally just did this. They work on their spelling. But even this word spelling points to the creative power of words. 
If you Google spelling, right, it says to write or name the letters that form a word in a correct sequence of letters or to make up a word or make up a form. It also has the meaning, spelling also has the meaning to, to be a sign or a characteristic of. So words point to something. They point to meaning. They point to value. They point, words point to something as like a sign or a characteristic. And then finally, uh, the meanings of spelling have like to have a result, like to mean something or have a result. For example, that idea would spell disaster for the business. So that idea would spell disaster for business. So it's pointing to, the word spell is pointing to a result. So the origins of the word, right? If you get into Merriam-Webster, you get the, the source of this word. It's, it's a spoken word or a form of words held to have magic power. So a spell is a f- spoken words that have magic power or strong, compelling influence or attraction. Another thing that spell is defined by is a period of bodily or mental mental distress or disorder, like like a feigning spell or like a coughing spell, right? So it has a result as well. In reality, though, so as we take these definitions of blessing, cursing, and spelling, and spell, like in reality, how many people actually observe their language, right? How many of us actually observe the language we're speaking on a daily basis, a routine language? How many of us actually watch our language to see the compelling influence or attraction our language has in our lives and our results in our lives? How many of us are observing the power of our words with that compelling influence or attraction? Like what, what we're drawing into our lives as results because of our spoken word. How many of us are conscious and aware of the influence of our language over every area of our lives? You know, the influence in every area of our fresh mindset, you know, in our finances, relationships, environment, spirituality, and health? How much is our spoken word or our language creating results in each of those areas? Can we observe our language and then observe our finances? Can we observe our language and our spoken word and observe the results in our relationships, in our home, in our spiritual walk with God, in our health? Can we look at our bodies and then correlate it to some language that we have spoken to in the present or in the past? Can we correlate it to spoken word or our language? How much thought is taken to observe the creative or destructive power of our language in each of those areas? How much thought is taken to inquire into the blessings or the curses invoked in those areas in our everyday thinking and our everyday language? As I reflect back on my life, I can see both of those, the blessings and the cursing. The creative and destructive power of my words, language, thoughts, and beliefs. After 27 years of marriage that resulted in a divorce, there's no coincidence that I got divorced. The words done and divorce were constantly thrown around in arguments and disagreements throughout the relationship and marriage. The words done and divorce. For example, I want a divorce. These, of course, are words that relationships, you know, they they can potentially never recover from. The words done and divorce are words that you can potentially never recover from. Now, it's not impossible to recover from, but I would advocate not threatening divorce or using words like we're done. The power of those words is significant. Now, there is much written about this simple concept. There's much written about never using divorce or done in a relationship that's meant to last or go the distance. So you can do your own research, dig into that. But again, those words have power, and they, they dip, dip, dip into the creative and destructive power of words. 
The words absolutely have creative destructive power. And if they take roots in our minds, they can wreak havoc on emotional safety, intimacy, and trust. After 27 years of marriage, divorce is, I know that divorce is absolutely destructive. I know there are many people out there that say divorce is or can be the best thing that happened to them and others. I get it. I totally get it. And it's a good thing for me too, so don't get it wrong. And cool, that is great and good for you if you believe that's the best thing that ever happened to you. I'm not, I'm not here to debate that. And in, in, any many, in many ways, I would agree, especially that's a great thing, especially if there's abuse or narcissism in the relationship. I would agree with the fact that you know, moving on and breaking out of that into divorce may be the only possibility. Totally get that. Here's the catch. If we have children, let's be real and absolutely raw. It might be a good thing for you, it might be a good thing for me, but it absolutely sucks for the children. It absolutely sucks. And no rationalization or justification will make divorce any easier for children. I mean, there are many documented beneficial ways to help children navigate divorces. I get it. But at some level, it still sucks for the children and everyone. Let's not kid ourselves or glorify failure. Divorce is a failure. The couple failed. Let's just hammer that home. Divorce is a failure, and let's not glorify it. Now, in the success world, failure can be a good thing and lead to success. And this is the catch. When people take that failure and learn from it, when people do the work, when they do the self-healing, they learn the lessons of why they failed in the first place. They learn those lessons. They dig into those. They research. They dig into the pit. They dig into the foundation. And they realize why they failed. They get that insight and revelation. And then they grow into a new version of themselves, a new creation of ourselves. But the failure, let's just leave it again real and raw, the failure still sucked was not fun, was not comfortable, it still sucked. Sure, the kids won't see mom and dad argue anymore. I've heard these, these rationalizations as well. Sure, the kids won't see mom and dad argue anymore. The kids won't see mom and dad show up as horrible spouses anymore. Cool. Here's the other side of that equation. The mom and dad could have worked on communication. Mom and dad could have worked on showing up as ex exceptional spouses. They could have done the work the opposite direction. But that said, all right, cool, I get it. The kids don't see mom and dad show up in a horrible way anymore. They don't see mom and dad argue. That's awesome. But it still sucks for the children. It still sucks. It's still extremely difficult for the children as, a, as their lives are dramatically changed. The trajectory of their life is ultimately changed forever. And their family is literally torn apart. And if you're from a divorced family like I was, I grew up from a divorced family, you may be perpetu perpetuating a generational cur curse of divorce in the legacy of our families. So we may just be continuing a generational curse. I know this is a complex, complex issue, and many parents do their best that they can for their children to navigate the process of divorce. They do that the best they can to navigate that process for their children and to ease them into the new reality of family. But it still sucks. Let's keep it really simple. Let's keep it really simple. Even if the custody is 50-50 and the children have clothes and things at each house, it still sucks. They sleep in a di our children, they sleep in a different bed every other week or whatever the days the custody schedule dictates. They sleep in a different bed. Let's just think about that. They have, a they, they have to occasionally take clothes back and forth, even if it's their, their favorite, especially if it's their favorite item. Like if they have a favorite pair of clothes, they have to take that item back and forth. And what do they do if they go to the other 
parent after a school day? Like, do they carry and lug all their stuff for the other house to school in a book bag all day long? What do they do with that stuff? Especially if they're riding a bus. They, for the children, they live in two different homes and often have to interact with two different households and two different blended families. So different homes, different blended families. And they have to deal with new step-parents or other people in relationships in their parents' lives. Now, let's flip the script. Let's imagine if we as adults, like right now, not as children, as adults, had to do all that now. If we had to live between two households as we go to work every day. So every other week, I'm living in a different house. Every other week, I'm living in a different bed. Every other week, I'm carrying clothes back and forth in a bag. And try. And a lot, I know a lot of couples try to avoid carrying the things back and forth in a bag, but there's still stuff that has to go between the two households. You know, we have to sleep in separate beds throughout the work week, two different wardrobes between two different houses, all right? We have to go back and forth between houses. We have two of everything right down to toothbrushes. Now, I get it. Some parents actually do this. Some parents do it for the children, Right? So I get that some parents actually stay in, like the kids stay in the house and the parents go back and forth. But the hardest part I would imagine for children is the children navigating life between two homes and two different blended families. Different living conditions, different nutrition and regular meal combinations, different types of meals, different rules and expectations, different sibling combinations in these blended families like full brothers and sisters, half brothers and sisters, step brothers and sisters, and beyond. I would imagine it is not fun at all. Not fun. My daughter has expressed, I think during a Bible study with Christine, that one of the hardest things she is dealing with is the divorce. I mean, one of the hardest things she's dealing with in life, I mean, she's young, she's just going to school, right? One of the hardest things she's dealing with in her life is the divorce. That's what came up first. Her parents divorce in two households, going between two households. I am sure we can find blessings in good and in all. I'm sure we can find blessings in good, but it still sucks for the children in some way. And again, like I mentioned before, while some parents have decided to keep the children in the same house and the parents go back and forth, the children still have new realities to deal with, like missing the other parent, only seeing the other parent 50% of the time, Dealing with new partners, boyfriends or girlfriends or lovers of one of their parents. You know, the the boyfriend or girlfriend's in their parents' lives now. And and the the children have no choice over that. No choice. Some of my hardest moments in the separation or divorce was seeing my daughter cry and want her mom at bedtime. It was extremely difficult to see my daughter experience all of that and all of those emotions. And to see her go through missing her mom. So it still sucks for children. I went through my parents' divorce when I was around six years old. It sucked. And it sucked growing up through high school and beyond. It sucks now when I realize that over the next 10 years, I will only see my daughter approximately half of that time. So five years or less in total, total time spent together as a family. Out of the 10, I'll probably only see her five years or less total time. My daughter and I are going, because of the divorce, like my, because of divorce, my daughter and I are going to miss out on half of the available time in her youth to spend time together with her dad, to spend time together with each other. Because her parents, here's the deal, because her parents couldn't figure things out and failed. And the, and the hard, real, raw reality is that we made the conscious choice to bring our daughter into this world. And while I know it's, it, it is not this simple, there are many factors in the failure of a marriage or relationship. 
All the above things we just discussed can occur when the words divorce or done or introduced into the relationship and show up in our language. I know it's not that simple. I think a beginning point of the failure begins when you introduce the words divorce or done into the relationship, especially when we do not guard our minds, when we don't do the work, right? We don't do the work to guard our minds, guard our relationships, set goals, and grow in our relationship. And especially when we do not guard our relationship from external factors and false limiting beliefs. Like we don't guard our relationship from other people's mindsets, from literally other people, like of the opposite sex, uh, other people's mindsets, friends and families, opinions about relationships and marriage. When we allow those external factors and false limiting beliefs, all right, we, we, we are leading towards failure. All right, and especially if we don't set goals for the relationship and we don't grow in the relationship. Language in our relationship, therefore, has power. Language in our relationships has power. The spoken word in relationships have power. On the other side of curse words or negative language, right, I have experienced an understanding of aligning with God and Jesus Christ in the power of prayer, declaration, affirmation, and creative words. In my previous podcast, I talked about how God led me to the book of Job, and in doing so, God ultimately revealed to me in a walking meditation that I was spared, restored, and blessed. In the previous podcast, I discussed how all of those came to pass through the creative power of those words combined with belief and action. My spared result came in the form of being spared from limiting beliefs in my marriage and massive debt. My restoration or restored results showed up in many ways especially with my family, with my sons and daughter, and literally in my home as my sons helped me renovate our house. This renovation ultimately helped me sell my house with profit during my separation and pending divorce. And the blessed result showed up after all of that when I met my girlfriend and we began our journey together. And it continues, the blessed result continues to show up with my sons, daughter, and our blended family. And the blessings also showed up in financial margin and blessings. Financial margin and blessings I never experienced for almost three decades in marriage. So, and it continues to show up for me now. Ironically today, as I was running through the ideas for this podcast in my mind, I saw this thought of the day in my email inbox. It's from the Napoleon Hill Foundation. And it's Napoleon, Hill, Napoleon Hill's thought of the day. And here it is. You come finally to believe anything that you tell yourself often enough, even if it's not true. That's the catch. Whether it's true or not, you will believe it and you will come to, whatever you tell yourself, you will come to believe it. If you tell yourself it often enough, even if it's not true. And he continues, if you repeat something over and over to yourself, your subconscious mind will eventually begin to accept it as fact. When something has been accepted as truth by your subconscious mind, it will work over time to transform the idea into a physical reality. You can take advantage of this, though, by programming your mind to think positive thoughts. Use self-motivators and affirmations to persuade your subconscious that you are capable of doing anything you wish. Repeat the self-motivator several times a day until it becomes an automatic reaction to recall a positive phrase whenever you begin to doubt yourself and replace I can't with I will. I would suggest that we replace I can't with a present tense power statement starting with I am. Like, I'm a builder. I'm a champion. I'm a creator. I'm a writer. I'm in great shape. I am more than enough. 
I am worthy, I am, and then fill in the blank with what you desire. I remember when my sons were young, and I would often joke that I would be more upset if they said the four-letter word can't in contrast to a four-letter curse word. They could drop the F-bomb, but man, if they dropped the word can't, I was a little upset. I wanted my sons to be very aware and conscious when they spoke words like, I can't. And again, while curse words can be foul, I can't or anything negative along those lines is far worse in our family. I can't is a no-go in our family. My goal was to eradicate I can't from their vocabulary, from their language, and from their DNA. Because I know I can't has limiting and destructive power. Our self-talk has considerable power, especially when it's combined with belief and repetition. Other people's language is equally powerful, and we should be mindful of how it impacts us. Language we hear from social media, the news, political leaders, teachers, coaches, leaders, family members, strangers, and beyond. If we absorb this language into our psyche and add belief, we begin the creative process. So, I recall from a teacher, I mean, a long time ago, so I can't even remember where I heard this, but I remember this teacher saying, hey, this is how a message gets sunk into our subconscious or gets sunk into a belief, potentially a limiting belief. This is how a message can become a belief, and we got to be more mindful of when it becomes a limiting belief. It's when the message has authority, intensity, and repetition. When the message has authority, Intensity and repetition. So we don't have to go back three years to see, you know, uh, three years to see this. We can see it in the last three years. When the government and so-called medical efforts said this message, right? I'm sure you all remember this message. It is safe and effective. Over and over and over we heard it is safe and effective. That's the message, right? Even if it wasn't true. Then the intensity came, right? The fear of death. The fear of illness. The fear of fines, the fear of fees, the fear of jail, the fear of sanctions, the fear of losing our job, the fear of losing our jobs, the intensity of fear. And then came the repetition, the same message over all outlets over and over and over. So until people did their own observing of results, right, until people stepped back and did their own observing of results of that message, until they did their own research, the lies continued. It was only when people started to do their own research and actually see that the lies existed clearly in plain view. It also happens with authority figures too, like parents, teachers, coaches, etc. The message, for example, the message could be, you are not good enough. The intensity could come from anger or disappointment or pressure. And then the repetition could be, you know, that, that message is communicated over and over. Every opportunity the parent gets, the teacher gets, the coaches get, they repeat that message. And if it's not, you're good enough. Hey, you know, they want you to do some activity. They want you to do some type of sport or activity. And again, I was here with this with my sons, right? Where the message is, you got to do this. This is what I want you to do. My sons even talked about it in that letter. They wrote me in the previous podcast when they wrote me a letter, you know, they said, let the kids do what they want to do. Right. But my message was, hey, they got to do lacrosse. Right. That message. Right. And the intensity was pressure. The intensity is, you know, I could have caused a little, hey, you want to go to college. You want to go do these things in life. You got to get good grades to go to college, to get a good degree, to get a good job. You can create that intensity of fear. And then you, every chance you get when they come, you know, in your presence, you communicate that message over and over. So it can come from parents as well. Ultimately, 
we must guard ourselves from other, others' negative language and thinking as we set goals and grow. We have to guard ourselves. We have to pay attention to other people's language. The language of others, of course, also shows up in movies, television, song, and music, often repetitively, right? So I remember going downstairs to check on my son one time and he, in the morning, and I realized he had his headphones in his ears, and the music was still playing in his headphones. And I just recall remembering that, man, he must have slept with those headphones in his ears all night, and he must have been listening to that all night because it was still playing in the morning. And knowing what I know from Napoleon Hill, you know, if you were to study Napoleon Hill in his book, Think and Grow Rich, he would tell you how to set goals, and he would lay out how to set goals, but then he would advocate that you read your goals aloud, in the morning and in the evening, in the morning when you wake up and right before you go to bed so that you can put those goals into your subconscious mind. You can auto-suggest, you can use auto-suggestion to put those goals into your subconscious mind. And then I realized, wow, my son listened to whatever the messaging was on those songs, on his headphones. He listened to the messaging all night. And what were in the lyrics? I can just tell you the lyrics were probably not good right? But what was the messaging of the lyrics that he listened to when he went to sleep and when he potentially woke up in the morning with the headphones in his ears, right? So what are we listening to all the time that's repetitive, that has, that has authority, that has an intense message, and it's repetitive? Now, I'm a people lis- listener just as long as much as I love people watching, right? I'm a people watcher and I'm a people listener. I love to listen to people. Even if I'm out in public, listening to total, if I'm standing in line in the store, listening to other people talk, listening to other people's language. If I'm at work, I'm listening to other people's language. I'm listening to what they say, not to judge or not to evaluate what they're saying. I'm just listening to their language. And I'm particularly listening to people's language to get an insight into their way of being. And by listening to people's language, we also get an insight into their results. We can get insights into results we have today in our finances, relationships, environment, spirituality, and health by observing the language we frequently use today and the language we consistently used in the past. The way we're showing up today is because of past thoughts, past spoken word, past beliefs, right? So the way we're showing up today in our finances, relationships, environment, spirituality, and health is because we thought something, spoke something, or believed something in the past. So we can get an idea of what are, what's going on in, in our results from our language today. And we can look at other people's results. I love to correlate, when I'm listening to people, what they're saying to the results that I'm actually seeing in their life. Now, the results will most likely match the language being used. For language reflects our reality. Language reflects our way of being, our reality. Language reflects our thinking and beliefs under the radar in the subconscious mind. Language reflects our limiting or empowering beliefs that are anchored in our subconscious mind. So when I'm out in public around other people in the course of my day, even total strangers, I will often listen to their conversations and language that they're using. When I'm in conversation with others, I pay attention to the language used, especially when the I am statements show up. Like the I am statements along with the statements that include he or she is, they are, fill in the blank. I think, we, I think we're all keenly aware of when someone says, you are to us, right? For example, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, today's just another day. And we start defining our world 
in defining our reality with the I am statements or the he or she is or they are, right? We use that present tense version of to be. And while these statements may be referring to external factors, people, places, and circumstances, they still give us insight into the person's way of being, their inner thoughts and beliefs. As I people listen, I often listen, not judge. I often listen to their language and then observe the results in their life. The most obvious result that is in plain view is their body. I'm just being real raw here, but the obvious result is their body. It is often the first noticeable result in correlation to their language. Then, if possible, I can look at other areas in their lives, like the fresh areas, finances, relationship, environment, spirituality, and health, to see how their language and results are aligned. Here's the catch. The first place that I people watch, or the first place that I people listen to first, is myself. I look at myself. I inquire into my language and see what results have shown up because of my language, my thoughts, my way of being. We know we are called human beings. Therefore, we all have a way of being. We all have a way of being. Our language gives us a powerful insight into our way of being, into our thoughts and beliefs, in who we are, and how we relate to the world and universe. Our language gives us powerful insight into how we relate to God and others as we navigate this experience. Ultimately, our language gives us powerful wisdom and insight into our results in every area of our lives today, our finances, relationship, environment, spirituality, and health. So going into next weekend and next week, take time and begin to observe your language. Watch your language this week. Watch, literally watch your language, especially when you're saying, I am, especially when you're using a form of to be, I am, he or she is, you are, they are, we are. But really importantly, when you start speaking the words, I am. So watch your language and then see what you're putting on the other side of I am. Study your language. Study, look at other people's language. Listen to other people, not from the point of judgment. Because we're told in the word not to judge or we'll be judged. I'm not suggesting that. What I'm suggesting is you're listening to other people's language and see if the language correlates to the results. Listen to other people's language. Listen to your language. Take inventory on language. Connect and correlate where your language influences your life in every area of your life. So try to connect as you observe your language. Connect and correlate where your language influences your results. Discover where your language has a direct result in each area of your life. Do the self-inquiry into the thoughts and beliefs that are deeply rooted in your subconscious mind that show up in your spoken word and language. When you're around other people, try people listening, not just people watching, people listening. And as you people listen, avoid judgment, but simply see if you can correlate and connect their language to their results in any area of their lives. As always, my wish for you is peace and blessings. And peace, happiness, truth, trust, love, and respect. Until the next time we're together, keep rising and rise again. Continue to rise as we transform through the new of our minds. Continue to seek all things true and all things free. Continue to seek that clarity in every area of our life. Remember to find the good, find the peace, find the blessings in your life, and all the things that we're grateful for. Most importantly, all glory be to God and the way, the truth, and the life in Jesus Christ. Mm